All right, the rest of us, let's find for the last time, at least in this series, uh, we'll find Psalm 67. Psalm 67, if you're using one of our Bibles that are provided here, that's on page 611. Psalm 67, which I want to be a theme psalm of our church that is known by every member and regular attender that is understood, that is applied, that helps us set our trajectories here and gives us purpose and passion and really helps us set our priorities. And so I plan in the years to come to continue to do what we've done now and every once in a while we'll come back to it, think about it, read it, study it once again. And perhaps God will use it even in this time of the year for you in your heart and mind to maybe redirect your life in certain ways or maybe give you some clarity in certain ways about what God may want from you and what he's calling you to do in your life. And that's because this psalm is really a psalm all about global missions and the idea that God had a plan and has a plan and is working out that plan through his church to save people out of every nation, every ethnicity, every right down to every tribe and tongue. He has a plan to save people from all over the world and turn them from being, you know, not worshipers of God and worshipers of other gods to really worshipers of the one true God. That's what this psalm expresses. And I want it to be our heart. Let me go ahead and read this psalm now for us. We'll begin in what, remember, in the Hebrew text, the, the Old Testament's written in Hebrew in that original Hebrew text, verse 1 begins in that title. To the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm, a song. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Selah. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Selah. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Let's just pause now and ask his blessing on this passage. Father, now we come to the point in our worship services that you have commanded that your word be taught and preached. And I'm asking that you would gift me to do that, what I cannot do of my own accord, at least not with any effectiveness, because I confess that 
Apart from you, I can do nothing, just as Jesus said. But I do ask that your word would be empowered and accompanied by the Spirit this morning, even as I teach and preach, that you'd give everyone here um, ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to understand and that you would help each person see how this needs to apply to them and to our church as a whole. And Lord, that maybe you would stir within hearts this morning to alter the direction of their lives to find ultimate joy and happiness and gladness in you. And then lay upon their hearts a desire to make that gladness known to others and share it with others. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. This is a psalm about global missions, expressing, of course, the psalmist's desire to see God worshipped all over the world by more and more people. We've made mention of fact in the last few weeks that it expresses his heart and his passion for his God that is so overwhelming and overflowing that it extends into this vision and desire to see other people worship him. It was written by a Jew, of course, a person of Israel, probably David, on behalf of all of the Israelites. But just to see the people of Israel worshiping God wasn't enough for him. He longed to see all the nations. That's who he's talking about here, the peoples, the nations around them come into a saving relationship with God and not only for their sake, but so that they would worship God and that he'd be glorified in that. Is there anything in your heart that gets excited when you see somebody who didn't believe in Jesus turn and believe in Jesus and then to watch their life change and to watch them turn from a a non-worshipper of God, a worshiper of the things of this world or a worshiper of self and now all of a sudden they're praising God. That's the longing that we should all have and to see God glorified in and through that. Young people in this congregation know that your families are praying for you, some of you that aren't walking with the Lord, praying for you that you would turn and look to Jesus and be saved and actually find your joy and happiness in him. Because I can tell you from personal and painful experience that ultimate joy and pleasure is never found in the things of this world. Even the good things that aren't sinful are only temporary enjoyment and pleasure and always leave you empty. And the sinful things not only leave you empty, but they have a destroying effect in lives and in your, in your soul. We're praying that you would become worshipers of God and experience the joy and the gladness that we have come to experience in God. And I'm praying even as we just have read Psalm 67 and we're thinking about this, maybe young people are trying to decide what direction in life they want to head. Maybe they're already trusting in Christ and they're like, what does God want me to do with my life? I could say that it would not be a wasted life 
It would be a well-lived life to give yourself entirely to God for the cause of global missions. And actually bringing the gospel that you've come to believe to people who have never heard it. There are still countless amounts of people around the world who need somebody to take the gospel to them and bring it to them. And our prayer is that that would be some, not just someone, but some from our church who would feel that call of God upon their lives. But I want this to be a familiar psalm with our church because I want this to be the foundation as we pray for our church and we should be praying for our church. As you pray for this church, that this would be the foundation of our, your prayers for the church. That you would be praying Psalm 67 for our church as a whole. And I hope that you do pray for your church. And it's good to pray and it's right to pray for what Graham sends out every week. There's these special prayer requests. People that are suffering. People are struggling. Pray for those people. It's good to pray too for the people you know in the church and the things they're walking through. But I'm asking you in addition to that to pray generally for the church as a whole. To be praying for God's direction and just what we're going to read in here, grace and his blessing upon us as a whole. Commit to doing that really on a daily basis that God would use our church and that God would bless our church. You know, one potential problem, and I, I don't want to spend a whole sermon on this, but another potential problem as people encounter Psalms uh, 67 that I thought about this week is the fact that it is a corporate prayer, isn't it? He's using, he's using those uh, plural pronouns like us, right? And uh, he's praying on behalf of the whole nation of Israel. So he's not just praying for himself, these things. He's praying on behalf of all of God's people, and that's a pattern for us. As a matter of fact, when, when Jesus was asked how to pray, they asked the disciples, asked, how do we pray? He said, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, right? Give us this day our daily bread. See, there's, there can be what can creep into Christianity is too much of an individualistic mind of it is just really about me and maybe those I know, but that shouldn't be the case. When you become a Christian, you're brought into the body as a whole, as a member of the body, interconnected with one another, you see. Too much individuality in the church life today that creates problems with prayers like this because you may be praying this for yourself, but you don't really think about it in the context of what it's supposed to be for all of the people of God. We're praying this for our church. You know, probably one of your favorite letters in the New Testament is one of my favorite letters in the New Testament, and that's the letter of Philippians. And I plan on taking Philippians and preaching a message from it eventually here because it was foundational a number of years ago in restructuring our mission program. The story goes like this. Paul went into Philippi with the gospel. Nobody had heard it. He starts evangelizing. People get saved. He plants the church at Philippi. Stays with them for a time and then moves on and goes and plants other churches. But the church continued to grow and prosper to a degree and 10 years later Paul is in Rome 
in church and or uh, imprisoned in, in Rome. And the church at Philippi had still been supporting him for those 10 years, caring about him, praying for him. They had this partnership in the gospel. And, and when they heard he was in Rome, they sent Epaphroditus to him who brings him these gifts and encouragement from the church on this short-term mission trip. And he writes to thank them about that and for their partnership in the gospel. And he says this in Philippians 1 verse 27. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you. Listen, all of you together as a church now that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Striving, listen, side by side for the faith of the gospel. You see what Paul's vision for a church is? Not a bunch of individuals that show up to see what the church can do for them, but more that you are together in this, working together as a team for the advance of the gospel. So pray this for your church. Now, notice, I just want to break up the pattern here of this psalm. There are three main points, and I'm only going to spend a few minutes on each one because I just want to go through these seven verses because we haven't done that yet and just give you kind of an overview of this passage. And there are three main points that I'll bring out. Verse one is the request, okay? The primary request is in verse one. And then in verse two... There's the reason for that request. And we'll look at that. And then in verses 3 through 7 is the result. If God answers the request of verse 1, this is what will transpire and this is what the psalmist wants. So the request, the reason for the request, and then the result. So let's look at the request in verse 1. The foundational verse here, out of everything else, springs in the rest of this passage. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. And then he puts that musical indicator there, Selah, that nobody really fully knows what it means, but they, they think that in part it means that you're supposed to pause now and reflect on this. So if they're playing this as the choir for the people and they've got instrumentation going, the music itself, as far as the singing stops and maybe there's a musical interlude there, giving the people time to think about it. As a reader, take that direction from the Holy Spirit and really think now at these pauses about what he's doing as he puts out three of these pauses here. Think about what he just said. Pause on it. Reflect now. Okay? The psalmist is praying to God for grace to Israel, blessing to Israel, and really the smiling countenance, his face to shine up on the nation of Israel. Grace, of course, is the foundation of everything that we receive from God or that we do for God. It is always from grace. It is how we start. It is how we continue. It is what we need on a daily basis to accomplish what he has for us. We depend upon his grace from beginning to end. And then he says blessing. And think, here are two ways in which 
A Jew might think of blessings. First of all, of course, and our primary thing that we're thinking about is spiritual blessing. You know, like Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. We're praying for spiritual blessings and change in Christ's likeness and the fruit of the Spirit being born in us and love and joy and peace and all of these things. We're, we're praying for blessing. And maybe even as you pray this for our church, you're praying for the continuing physical blessings that the church gives to us. Like money to do missions with, money to do ministries with, or people Blessing us with people who contribute in different ways. Praying that God would continue, even as he has, to bless us in all of these ways. And then, of course, his smiling countenance would be upon us, that his face would shine upon us. You know, you can tell when somebody looks at you and they're not happy with you, right, usually? They're frowning upon you, or they're angry with you, or they're disappointed in you. What he's praying for is that knowledge and that experience that God is for us and loves us and that he's happy with us and pleased with us, you see. This verse is a reflection. What the psalmist had in mind was the reflection of the blessing that God gave to Aaron, the first priest of Israel, to put upon his people. It goes like this. Listen, number six, verses 22 to 27. I'll have it up on the screen. The Lord spoke to Moses saying... Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. Notice, this is God's idea here. Aaron didn't come up with this. God loves to bless his people. God loves to display grace and mercy to his people. He wants his people to know his divine pleasure upon them. This is something you can pray then with confidence. You can come before God in faith and in confidence that he's going to hear it and that he wants to answer it for this assembly, for this church. And you notice the confidence even of the psalmist, Psalm 67 again, and look down at verse 6 and 7. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. This will happen, in other words. It's a prayer of confidence because he knows who his God is. He knows his God loves to be gracious to his people. And friends, the more grace that he bestows upon us, is it not true? The more grace, the more spiritual blessing, the more we experience of his uh, delight in us, does that not fuel us up then even more in love to him? I mean, if in the very beginning of your salvation, John says that you, we love him because he first loved us. See, it was actually that grace and blessing that wins us over actually to our God and we become happy in him and joyful in him. 
See, Christian, we can pray this for ourselves. We can pray this for our church because we know God loves to answer this prayer. And friend, he, he has answered this prayer in so many ways. As a pastor of this church for over a decade now, I can tell you, I could count to you ways. I could name them in the different years of God's evidence of grace to us and blessing and helping us and even using us in many ways. And he will continue to do that. But notice the reason he's praying this. Let's get to the heart of this psalm is in verse 2. What's he really praying for? It's the reason. Notice he says, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. That's the reason he's praying it, right? We know it because it starts with the word that. So God, be gracious to us and bless us and make your face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. This is the reason I'm praying it. This is what I have in mind. This is in no way a selfish prayer, is it? Now there's nothing selfish about praying. Even if you took this psalm and you just turned that verse 1 into God be gracious to me, And bless me and cause your face to shine upon me. There's nothing selfish about that. There's plenty of examples in scripture where we can do that. Or just to pray for our church or your family this prayer. But notice now that the reason he's praying it is because he wants that blessing and that grace to flow from God to Israel and then from them to others. And that's always the current. That's always the direction of God's grace and blessing. To a person, for others. This has always been the way that God works with his people. We can ask this and we can be confident that God will answer it, especially if we ask it in keeping with his will to expand the gospel to the nations. You know, there is such a thing as becoming selfish in prayer. Matter of fact, James Verse four, uh, chapter four, verse three says to this, he's rebuking those people. He says, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. See, when we prayed in the first passage for grace and blessing, we can include in there, maybe as a church, you can pray for financial provision and prosperity. But for what purpose, God might ask? See, this is where the prosperity preachers that you'll see on TV and other places, this is where they go so drastically awry. They ask God for these blessings, but for what? So they can spend it on their passion. So they can build their gazillion dollar homes and wear $10,000 tennis shoes on the stage. That is selfish praying. What we learn from God, especially in Christmas, do we not? That God is anything but a selfish God. Who when he sees a world lost and hurting and in sin, what does he do? He in love sends forth his son. He gives his only son. And we see that example of selflessness and living for others in the example of Christ, do we not? Has there ever been... Another man who has ever lived, man or woman, who has lived their entire existence 
for the glory of God and the good of other people and that and that alone other than Jesus Christ. Friends, this is what we see in the gospel. This is what we see in Christmas time that we are asking grace and blessing upon us. Yes, for us because we, we love God's grace and Robert Murray McChain said, uh, it's a mark of true grace to desire more. I get it. We want more when we've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. We want more grace and we want more blessing, but not in a selfish way because once God's grace comes to us, it's only natural then for us to want to see others experience this grace. Okay? So there's a wrong way to pray, verse 1, a selfish way. But we want to pray it in the right way for the purpose, the reason of verse 2. Bless us, because if you do then, through us, blessings will flow to others. And it's important to know, friends, that the psalmist knew this is God's plan, has always been for the nation of Israel, to bless them so that they can be a blessing. If you go all the way back in your Bibles, Genesis 12, I'll put it up on the screen, right in the beginning when God is going to form this nation of Israel through this man, Abram, who will be, God will later rename Abraham, of course. And the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And notice, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So what is this, in Psalm 67, the one who wrote this, this descendant of Abraham. What is he praying for? Verse 1 Fulfill your promise, God, and bless us as a people so that we can then be a blessing and your way can be known on earth and all the families, all the, uh, all the ethnicities and all the peoples of the world can come to know you. They can be blessed through you. God's design for Israel has always been for them to be a channel of blessing to the nations. And then, of course, we see about it Happening, We see its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And this is why Matthew begins his genealogy by saying, this is Jesus, the Messiah, the son of Abraham. Here it is. God's fulfillment to the nations. Friends, what it tells us is this, is that God is being gracious to us and God is blessing us, but not just for us, right? Your life, our lives, Our lives are to be channels through which God blesses other people. Can you see how radically different a life can look if that's your daily mentality? What if your daily mentality was every morning you prayed, God bless me, be gracious to me, so that through me blessing can flow to others? What if, we lived, what if we lived our lives with the thought, I need to be a blessing to others now. I need to share God's love and grace and blessing that he's bestowed upon me. I need to share this with others. Not just in evangelism, friends, but just being gracious and kind and merciful and helpful to people. What a difference that would make. Especially in a world so filled with 
social media driven selfishness and self-centeredness and look at me and it's all about me. But shouldn't people of God be different than that? And ultimately, friends, as a cautionary tale, you read through the history of Israel and they really lost their way in this. Throughout those centuries, they got to the point where they despised the nations, let alone pray for God to save them. You see that in Jonah. Jonah, go to the Ninevites and preach to them because I'm going to destroy them. Now you go preach to them. And what did he do? No way, I don't want to go to them. I hate them. God had to take drastic measures to get Jonah to do what he wanted to do. And even when he did, did it, he didn't do it with a Psalm 67 heart, did he? One thing that can stand in the way of a church's desire to see global missions expand and even care about global missions is because the church at times becomes too intertwined with the political affairs and the concerns of the United States to the extent that we become nationalistic to the exclusion of any of the nations around us. So now all of a sudden, instead of the church seeing the nations as the mission field and as those who need to come to faith in Jesus Christ and wanting to see them worship God, we instead look at them as our nation's enemies. That shouldn't be the case, right? We are a part of a greater kingdom, the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, and so we want to make sure our perspective is lined up with the gospel. And you think about this, friends. In Matthew 28, Jesus stood before his disciples and he said, now go make disciples of all the nations. Okay, there was a definite transition there. Israel was to be more attractional, getting ready for the birth of Christ. The Christ comes, he lives, he dies on the cross, he's risen again. Now Jesus says, now go and make disciples and proclaim this gospel to all the nations. And what we find out is this in the New Testament. Not that God had a heart to save the nations. We should have already known that reading the Old Testament. But what we have is the reality that the way God is going to do that. Listen, this is... Mind-boggling, if you think about it, like it's the first time you're thinking about it, okay? That God is going to expand the church and save people and make worshipers of himself through his people, beginning with those disciples in Matthew 28. And God, I was thinking about it this week, just meditating on this. God could have done it any way he wanted to. He could have, could God not have just sent could Jesus just not go, the risen Jesus, to the nations and stand before them in his glorified risen state? Say, here I am, this is what I did. Now repent and believe in me. Could have done that. He could have sent angels. You know, like powerful, perfect, righteous angels who don't need to buy plane tickets or train tickets or get on a boat or learn a language they are, they would be able to just appear to these people groups and proclaim the gospel to them. People could be saved. And yet what God does is he says, no, this is the way I'm going to do it. Through this 
motley crew of misfits. This is the way he's chosen to do it, through his people. Why would he do it that way? You know, the only answer I could come up with was this, that God in the end, when all the various tribes and peoples are around the throne and they're worshiping God, all of the redeemed from all of the centuries, and they're standing there and they're worshiping God, who's going to get the glory for that? Not their missionary. God's going to get it. As a matter of fact, Paul says this when he was talking in in 2 Corinthians 4, he's discussing his ministry that he has to be a missionary and to go preach the gospel. And he says this, but we have this treasure in jars of clay, this treasure of preaching the gospel to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And Christian, let me encourage you first personally and then as the church, you may not think you have much to offer. You may recognize your own weaknesses, your failings, your faults, your sins, your shortcomings. But friends, that's the people who recognize that and then say, yes, but God be gracious to me and bless me and cause your face to shine upon me. That through me, your way may be known on earth and your saving power among all nations. God specializes in that. That's who he uses. You know, we never want to say something like this. You ever heard somebody say, man, if God could just get a hold of that, you know, that smart person's heart and use them, or if God could get a hold of that celebrity or uh, that, you know, wealthy person, imagine how much God could do through them. Guys, that's so contrary to the way God even thinks. Matter of fact, every time a celebrity becomes a Christian or says they have, you should actually shudder. in many ways because they will oftentimes publicly humiliate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Friends, God works through the foolish and the simple. He works through small churches like ours and delights to do so. You may start praying this and thinking, man, you know, God can use the big churches. He can use the celebrity churches and pastors to do things, but our little church, what can we do? How can God use us? You see, friends, we're churches like us are God's specialty. This is how God has always worked. You know, the whole gospel evangelizing of the world started with 11 stumbling, bumbling disciples. I hope they'll forgive me if I meet them in heaven one day for saying that. But they admit it. They write about themselves and all their doubts and fears and failures and sins. And that's how God works so that he gets all the glory. And then the result, just briefly... Let's read it one more time, verses 3 to 7. What's the result of all of this? Global worship. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let all, or let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. You'll notice in those verses that this is true worship. Do you remember what Jesus What he didn't find when he came into this world, even among his own people, was true and genuine worship, or very little of it. Everybody did what they had to do because that was what was commanded of them. But what this pictures is true, joyful, glad worship, isn't it? Means that global missions isn't about going out and Christianizing people, but really that people would have the new birth and the change of the heart that actually from their heart then they become glad in God. 
It's a global expansion. It's a massive prayer. All the people's God praising you. Notice in the goal of gospel missions is always the worship of God. The goal of your evangelism is always the worship of God. When you're sharing the gospel with somebody, the goal, the ultimate goal of it is that they would become worshipers of God. I, uh, one of my former pastors was asked to preach at a pretty large missions conference at a pretty large university, Christian university once, and their theme for the whole conference was six billion reasons, six billion reasons for global missions. And you know by that what they're referring to is that at the time there were six billion people on the planet. I think there are more now. And he got up there, and if you knew him, you would know this is exactly what he would do. His, one of his first lines was, there are not six billion reasons for global missions. Much, I'm sure, to the chagrin of the coordinators and the people that invited him. He said there's one reason for global missions and that is God in the global worship of God. See, what we strike a chord in here is that the psalmist isn't praying just for the good of those people. Oh, it's there. You've got to have a love for people and you've got to want them to be saved so they don't go into eternity without Christ. But that's not the main goal of missions. The main goal of missions is that God would be glorified as people come to worship him. And that's really what's going to fuel our mission program here. And friends, think about this. Every Sunday as we gather and as we sing songs to God and as we pray to him and as his word is read and preached and as we take the Lord's Supper, we're worshiping, right? That's why we call this whole service a worship service where we're praising God and we're thanking God and we're crying out to God every week as we get together, Psalm 67 is being answered. Is it not? The vast majority of us here are not from Israel's descendancy, are we? If we went through Ancestry.com, we would probably find we're scattered all over the place and surprising places or come from that but not from the Jewish people, which means this is a living, breathing example, an illustration every week of what God does in people's hearts as you come, I'm sure, with hearts filled with gladness and joy, loving God and wanting to praise Him and seeking Him in worship. And as you pray this psalm now, hopefully from now on for our church, from time to time, and I put this out there because I know so many of you will do it, You'll pray this psalm for our congregation. Just remember these words from the Apostle Paul, Ephesians 3, verses 20 to 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. This is a big prayer that we're praying for our congregation that I'm asking you now as a pastor. Pray this with me. Let's pray this prayer to God, continually ask him to bless us so that through us can be a blessing, knowing that he's able to do far more than ever we could ask or think through that power that is within us. Let's pause now, and I'm going to pray this for our church. God, be gracious to us and bless us, and make your face to shine upon us. 
That through us, God, your way may be known on earth and your saving power among all nations. And through us, in part, Lord, as you're accomplishing your mission in this world, may the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Let us see examples of this happening. Let us be part of it. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.